following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right, welcome again back to Fellowship Bible Church, all of you folks in the internet land, and uh, again for those of you that are here. We've been here for the last hour uh, and having a good time of praying. I'd like to share with you some more from Matthew chapter 4. Actually, uh, was uh, inspired this uh, week, so far this week, to work on two messages, which is a little early in the week for me to have two on the, on the front burner, but that's how it worked. And so I'm going to uh, choose... That, this one in Matthew chapter 4 for you this evening. So remember in Matthew chapter 4 that uh, the Lord's public ministry begins in um, kind of uh, earnest, but uh, with the testing that the Lord allows this, uh, the devil, Satan, to bring to him. And uh, that is verses 1 through 11, the uh, tests in the wilderness. And Jesus passes those tests unlike Israel of old, who had another period of 40 years, not days and nights, but 40 years in the wilderness, and off fell into complaining, murmured, uh, testing the Lord, and stuff like that. And, uh, and then also he passed the test unlike or in contrast with our friends Adam and Eve who were in the garden. They being in an ideal environment, he being in the wilderness, they having everything that they needed, he being starved for 40 days and 40 nights, they having the uh, perfect fellowship of God and uh, no testing uh, really other than the minor testing that was given to them from the the snake, uh, Jesus having a major attack from the devil. And, uh, you know, the outcomes were entirely different. That's in chapter 4. Verses 1 through 11. Now, in chapter 4, verse 12, let's read. And it says this, Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. So some time has passed since the temptation uh, a few months perhaps, and John is put into prison. And then some more time passed. So this narrative is very compressed. Uh, months, weeks, or at least, or months pass by between a couple of these sentences. Nothing for us to get uh, you know, uptight about. Although it would be nice to know, well, what was Jesus doing in all those times? You know, It'd be very interesting to know. But as John said, many other things Jesus did which are not written in this book because if they were written, he said it would just take up too much space. So I suspect that Jesus was a very productive person, ministering for God, praying, being with God's people and and, uh, drawing people to the Lord and so on. But anyway, some time passed and Jesus left Nazareth at that time, the Bible says, He's he's a... Well, he's a a man well into his manhood at this point, 30 years old. Uh, For a man in ancient Israel, that's older than we think of 30. You know, today people are 
30 and they're just kind of getting grown up. You know what I mean? Not back then. Uh, you had to be well on your way to maturity uh, by the time you were in your late teens. You may be having family by the time uh, you're very young, especially if you're a young woman. And, um, you know, when your life expectancy was 40, maybe, you had to get on with it, you know, get on with living so that you would uh, have a decent, uh, uh, you know, whack at life, as it were. Well, some obviously lived longer, but uh, there were a lot of hazards that we don't have to, to uh, deal with, or we do, but we can handle them more easily in our uh, relatively wealthy society and the medical attention that we have. Anyway, he's a, young, he's a man. He's fully in adulthood. He moves away from Nazareth. Uh, remember, his mother is still alive. Obviously, that she was still alive when he died, so she's still there and probably in Nazareth. And uh, he moved to Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias, as it later became to be called. This would be his home base for the time being, Capernaum. If you could even say that the Lord had a home. Do you know what I mean by that? Did the Lord Jesus have a home? Well, for one, in one sense we could say very much that he did not. Because as an itinerant minister, he stayed wherever he could find a place to stay. You know, he was all up and down Israel. That doesn't give itself, and and no hotels. I mean, maybe some inns or things. But listen to this verse in Luke 9, 58. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, the Lord did not, take up ownership of property uh, and have a house and uh, a place to sleep and all of that sort of thing. Very interesting and what we might consider different lifestyle, uh, but that was what he was called to do. And he was called to go about and teach and preach in the villages and so on as we see, uh, actually not here but elsewhere in the Gospels. All right, so uh, if he had a a home base, it would be Capernaum, it would be by the sea, and uh, he had already ministered there uh, in this area for some time, by this time, but the area where he took up as homeland was the historical home of the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Look at that in verse 13, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. If you picture in your mind, I don't have a projector here handy, But uh, if you picture in your mind Israel with the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River running south from there into the Dead Sea, okay, think of that. Right around the, on what would be the, in the map if you're looking at it, on the left side of the Sea of Galilee or the west towards the Mediterranean, a huge area was Zebulun. That was their, their historical inheritance, Zebulun. And then, uh, like on the southwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, I think you would find Naphtali. Are they there, brother, on your map? Are you seeing them? A little hard to see, maybe, unless you get into an ancient Israel map. Well, anyway, that whole area was those for those two tribes. That was their ancestral inheritance. And Matthew picks up on this, and he remembers a passage of Scripture which refers back to Isaiah, and he says this, 
that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, and this is Matthew 4:15 now, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. This region was where the Gentiles traversed from outside of Israel, you know, to the north and around the Sea of Galilee to come into Israel. It was a passageway. It was a a well-known Capernaum on a well-known trade route. And so Jesus was there, and the people of the two tribes and those passing through the Gentiles had a new light available to them which was never available before. Do you know what I mean by light? That light which lightens the world has come in to lighten every man. That light which we walk in if we are Christians. We walk in the light as He is in the light and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. They sat in that kind of divine light. And I'm going to turn my Bible back to Isaiah chapter 9 to read this again in Isaiah's form. It says in Isaiah 9.1, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her. It seems to me to uh, indicate something here of the oppression that God would pour out upon the northern tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali being among them, north of Ephraim. And it says, and afterward more heavily oppressed her, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, and Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So Matthew is seeing at least an analogy there of what the people of Israel experienced uh, historically, and, and, and actually the, the prophet is speaking ultimately of the coming kingdom. Uh, you see that verse 6 of Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. So this is obviously a messianic prophecy that uh, is given, and uh, Matthew is picking that up and saying, Look, just like they were, were told they were going to see this light, here is the light. Here's this light coming in to uh, the, the people of Israel. And, and another important prophecy in Isaiah 42 refers to this situation as well. And it says in Isaiah 42, verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. So this is the Lord's Lord's, uh, ministry. In fact, I'm just thinking now of another verse in uh, Luke, and it's in chapter 4 where... He says of himself, reading the spirit of the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives 
and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay, so that's yet another reference to Isaiah, but this one's a little bit different or in a different location. This is from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. So uh, he is the one who is going to be bringing liberty to those who are oppressed, oppressed by sin, my friends, not oppressed in the modern sense of social justice oppression uh, or or, uh, proclaimed or professed oppressions. So the light that they were seeing now in Zebulun and Naphtali was, well, what does it say in Matthew chapter 4? At the end of verse 16, it says, those who dwelt in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned upon them. The full glory of the light of the Lord Jesus was not yet upon them. Are you with me? Think of the Mount of Transfiguration, okay? The 50-watt light bulb turned up to about 500 watts on the Mount of Transfiguration. In other words, the glory that was displayed through Jesus was magnificent during the Mount of Transfiguration. That's how he is Inherently, that's how we will see him in the kingdom and in the heavenly state. But in the, in the kenosis, in the incarnation, in that time period when he was kind of, I could say, uh, his glory was, was um, covered with his humanity, not shining through his humanity. He was just that smaller light bulb. The light had dawned, but the full sun had not come up over the horizon yet. And I'm just using that in a kind of metaphorical way. This is just the beginning of the light of Christ coming upon the earth. That He was just making his start amongst the people of the nation of Israel, and a greater light would come yet in the future. Now, when he comes, he's had his temptation, he's passed his test, he, he moves to Capernaum, he sets up his base of operations there, and just the fact that he's there giving out the message of the gospel of, of, of God, of the kingdom, is light dawning upon those people in that region. And you have, to, you have to think, how privileged were they that living in their midst was Jesus of Nazareth? I mean, wouldn't you like to just kind of live next door to Jesus for a while? Well, maybe you wouldn't because it would be too convicting. <laughs> <laughs> no, think about it. Uh, that, that whole area of people who were in tune with God must have been so excited and so uh, enlightened. And so Jesus then begins his ministry in earnest. In verse 17, and it looks like we'll just have to touch this verse tonight and come back to finish the rest of the context another time. In verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, I want, you to, I want you to hear that message. May And I know I've used it before, but will you allow that message to echo through your mind? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I wish I had somebody in the sound system doing a, an echo. You know how that, you can do that with electronic sound? 
We, well, we had that with your phone. I should just get that out again somehow. <laughs> uh, you know, repent, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand, it's at hand. Think of those words. This is powerful, powerful words. And I want you to notice a couple things about it. Um, This is undoubtedly a summary, first of all, of Jesus' message. In other words, I, I think he certainly said more than these words. Would you agree with me? He probably had longer messages than repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, goodbye, I'm on to the next town. No, he would explain what that was about. And I think we see a model of that in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is called what? 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew, the sermon on the young men. I want you, I want you young men to answer me this. What is it called? It is the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. Okay. So the Sermon on the Mount. He gives an ex- you know we see an example of him preaching, and he doesn't just say a few words. This is a long message. Okay. So he certainly said more than these words, as we see there from Sermon on the Mount, and throughout the Gospels, he had a lot to say, with particular application to the people that he was speaking to, and the time and the place in which he was ministering. Now, I also want you to notice this other very interesting thing. The Lord Jesus spoke the very same message that John the Baptist did. There's no difference. Look back at chapter 3 and verse number, uh, let's see, I lost my place. It's in verse number 2. Verse number 2. Matthew chapter 3, this is John the Baptist. He came preaching in the wilderness and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So anybody that wants to drive a wedge between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of John the Baptist is going to have a very hard time in this church convincing us that there's a difference. Because when Matthew reports the summary of John's message is X, and the summary of Jesus' message is X, and X equals X, We know they've got the same message, okay? We're not dummies here. We can read that. And I want to say that because there's some folks who say, well, the message that we have is of some, in some way essentially different than what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount and essentially different than what John taught. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus taught what John taught. John taught what Jesus was about to teach. And we basically teach what? X the same thing. Yes, we know there's additional information and we know that Jesus died and was buried and rose again, that John couldn't preach because it hadn't happened yet. He was preaching forward, you know, looking ahead. We have all of that extra, but the bottom line is we're still preaching repentance because the king is coming. And we can't forget that. It's not just, you know, me and Jesus, and I got right with Jesus by confessing my sin, And now everybody's happy. That's good and all, but there's more to it than that. He's the king. I'm his subject. And I'm supposed to repent of my sin. Now, I'll talk more about that in a moment, but this is extremely important, my friends. You know, for somebody to say that our message is essentially different than Jesus' message is a, a wrong, false teaching. It's a bad teaching. We do preach like 
Jesus did, repent. We preach like Paul did, repent. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Acts 26 and 19. Check and see if I'm right on that. But we certainly can find that in the book of Acts. And uh, that's Paul's message. So, and that's what we preach. True salvation does not occur unless there's repentance. Let's just be clear about that, okay? There has to be, there must be repentance. So Jesus preached the same message as John. The words are the same. Of course, we could say John preached the same thing that Jesus preached, and Jesus was telling John to preach, uh, but preached the same thing that he did, and we, we do the same. God's part in this message is that he's bringing the kingdom. Okay, the kingdom of God is coming. What's our part in this message? Well, repent. <laughs> repent, you people, because God's kingdom is coming. Okay, God's going to do his part, you do your part. This means to turn from sin and be converted to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to repent. We could use that as a, as a replacement for the word believe, really. Believe in God. Repent of your sin. There are two sides of one coin. There are two ways of looking at the same event, the conversion that happens in the life of the believer. Okay? It's a change of mind about sin. From loving sin to hating sin. It's from wanting sin to despising sin. It's from taking sin lightly to taking it seriously. It's from not knowing what sin is to knowing what it is and being aware of how deadly it is. You know, when people kind of, I'll call it this way, I don't mean to be degrading or demeaning rather, but people kind of bumble through life, you know, and they don't know what sin is and they don't know how deadly it is. They're just like, ha, ha, he, he, you know, no problem. I can do whatever I want with whomever I want, however I want, however many times I want. It doesn't matter. Just whatever pleases me. And you just say, oh, no, no, it's terrible. It's awful what's happening in your life if you're walking away from God. Repentance does not only then mean turning away from that sin, but it also means turning to God. That's what we can, I think, maybe forget if we you know, get on our soapbox and we're preaching hellfire and brimstone. You know, Repent of your sin. But what are you turning to when you're turning from sin? You know, you're turning to something. It means turning to God. It means desiring God. It means loving God. It means expressing thanksgiving to God and really believing in God. It means turning to Jesus. Christianity is Christianity for a reason because it focuses on Jesus, capital C, capital H, capital R-I-S-T. You know, it's not just that you can have a warm, fuzzy feeling about God, you know, God somewhere, the big man upstairs, as they say, and, 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 and be fine. A fuzzy conception of God doesn't get you very far because lots of people have fuzzy conceptions of God. God's salvation is only through Jesus Christ. So we emphasize that and hope, hope that you will grab onto that idea. Repentance is not regret. Repentance is not remorse. Those feelings, regret and remorse, will likely accompany true repentance, but they are not the same thing as it because you can have regret and repentance with zero connection to God and 
zero connection to Christ. Have you known situations like that? Maybe you felt it yourself. From time to time, you regret the consequences of your decision, but you ignore for a moment, what does this mean in my walk with God? Or have you seen somebody in the world who regrets doing something terrible, but there's, God is nowhere in their thoughts? They just regret it. They have remorse over it in a human sense. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is change of mind toward God from sin, toward Christ, from evil, from unbelief to belief. So that's what Jesus' message was and still today is. There's nothing new in that sense under the sun. It's the same message. And uh, that kind of makes it easy for us, you know. We don't have to invent anything new. It's all the same as what it was 2,000 years ago. That's Matthew 4, 12 through 17. We're going to have to stop there for time's sake tonight. And we're going to wish you a good evening. We're going to wish God's blessing upon you. And may he keep you and uh, draw you near to himself. Let me just have a little prayer before we close. Heavenly Father, we pray indeed for your rich blessing upon your people. And we pray that you would help us to just marvel at the Lord and how he came to bring a light to the people of Zebulun and Naphtali and, in fact, to the entire globe. And he went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I pray that you would help us to not be shy about bringing the same message to the people around us today. In Jesus' name, amen.